Welcome to I Love My HBCU Question Mark, the podcast where we express our undeniable love for HBCUs, but where we are also not afraid to address a few tough questions. So, sit back, learn a little, love a lot, and rep your HBCU. Welcome, everyone, to I Love My HBCU Question Mark. Um, this is literally the first episode and i know students across the country are like oh my gosh tosin is that luke lawal yes it is luke lawal look how you doing blessed and highly favored um honored to be here i'm excited about our conversation i know you've been having some technical difficulties so i'm glad we're finally here and i'm excited to have to hear what you have so I'm I'm excited that Luke has not turned me into a liar. And the reason <laughs> the reason why I'm saying that is um about a year ago when I envisioned um having a a podcast that was going to spotlight um exemplary HBCU advocates but as well as HBCU students and alumni, I literally said to anybody who had ears, my very first guest is going to be Luke Lawal Jr. So thank you for not turning Tosin into a liar. I really appreciate it. So Luke, um, many people know you. Um, many people that I talk to is what I should say, know you via HBCU Buzz. But I think to only categorize you in that space is a disservice to all the things that you are doing. I'm not a big fan of uh, positions and titles. So I'm not going to ask you to list your positions and titles for us. Instead, I'm going to ask you, how does Luke describe himself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I start off by saying I am a son. <laughs> I'm a brother. Um, I'm a friend. And then I would love to say I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> and then so you didn't add author in there which is fine because I did tell you I did tell you don't don't put and titles I'll... on the table um I'm going to I'm bring up your advocate as well. I'm going to bring your mother up a little later on because really? am I allowed to call her petite am I allowed <laughs> to call her that absolutely there is a video you have on social media where you are introducing your mom to your the the back cover of um your an essence magazine um 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 an oh, yeah. essence magazine edition and i almost i almost cried but it was tears of joy when i saw this woman this mother just double over in pure joy and pride when she saw the image i'm going to bring her up um in a second but you you started off by saying that you are a son how important is that role to you, being a son? <sighs> um, I spend my whole life trying to learn. And the def anytime people ask me, like, how to define myself, I always say son first because it reminds me of the fact that, like, I'm constantly learning from my parents. Like, I'm the son of God. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a learner buff at heart. And, and I don't know if you know anything about Freemasonry, but... Um, one of the biggest things about Masons is about like seeking knowledge. So like for me, defining myself as a son is just to remind, it's 
it's another way to remind myself that I'm still learning, still growing. It still reminds me that I'm still a kid. And at heart, um, I have a long ways to go. Did you speak to your mom today? <laughs> yes, I did. Do you speak to her <laughs> every day? Every day. So is it, are you a certified mama's boy? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) He's like, absolutely. I love it. Um, Okay, I'm going to get off your mom, but I'm coming back to her later on um, because she features in a way that I think is really, really special in your book. And even though this is not about your book, it is about your your advocacy as um, an HBCU alum. There are some things in rich black, poor black that I think every single HBCU student, especially, but alum, if they choose, should actually pay attention to. So I'm I'm going to bring her up again um, okay. and tell her I love her without even knowing her. OK, I will. All right. So I have this corny thing that I do where I take every single person that I speak to through a rapid fire segment of as many questions that I can throw at you in 67 seconds. But before we even start, could you take a wild guess? There you go. Oh my gosh, beautiful. But I'm asking (laughs) you the question. Why do you think it's 67? HBCU. 1967. (laughs) Yeah, but why 67 though? Uh, The first HBCU was founded in 1967. No. You can't see my face. Those who are just listening to us and not watching us can't see my face. I'm slightly disappointed, but just jokingly so. Jokingly so. (laughs) 10 HBCUs were founded in 1967. 1860. You got me tripping up and saying 19. 1867. 1867. There we go. Hence the 67 seconds. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So you live in L. Sorry, the 67 seconds are going to go on a clock after I ask the last question. Now, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Beautiful. Okay. You live in LA, but you were raised in Maryland. Uh, LA or Maryland? LA. LA. Okay. Um, Football or the real football? American football. Yeah. If you see the gasp on my face right now, what what full blooded Nigerian ever picks American football? Look, I grew up in PG County. It's the number one athletic like city county in the world. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. What's your favorite team? Redskins. Of course. I I like to say the Commanders. The Commanders. There we go. All right, Burner Boy or let me try to do my father proud. Ashake. Definitely burn it, boy. You're a bow all the way. <laughs> okay, so you and I are not going to be friends. We're, we're not. No. Um, other than your name, what's the most Nigerian thing about you? My confidence. I like that. I like that. Nigerians are quite braggadocious, aren't we? Okay. We, we are. <laughs> we really are. Shout out your favorite professor in college. Ooh, Dr. Tatum. What did Dr. Tatum teach? Biochemistry, toughest Bi- teacher I ever had. <laughs> that and, and that wraps up the 67, but mentioning biochemistry, you were not an entrepreneur major. What was your major? Biochemistry. 
biochemistry. How does Luc Lawal go from biochemistry to entrepreneurship? Well, truth be told, I used to tell people, you know, being a Nigerian, you either had was a lawyer, doctor, engineer. <laughs> but the older I get, I realized the only reason I went with it is because I really wanted something challenging. Like, I love the challenge. I love, like, I literally went through all the majors and was just like, I know this. I could do that. I don't need to learn this, but this looks hard. Let me figure this part out. And that's why I did biochemistry. But after working at Kaiser for a few years, I was like, yeah, nah, <laughs> this ain't me. So I tell your story wrong. Not that I have the right to tell your story. I literally just tell it based on the things that I've read and, and a few conversations here and there. But I tell my students, um, um, and I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. Um, if you were to ever come to Morgan State University, you come, you've been there quite a few times. But if you were to come to Morgan again and just say, what has Dr. Tosin said about me and how long has she been talking about me? You'll find that you have, your ears should have been burning for uh, maybe a little over 12 years now. Um, because the way I tell your story, I tell my students to observe this gentleman and what he started doing while he was at Bowie State University um, before he even graduated. I, I remind people that um, um, HBCU buzz that they see as their holy grail sometimes for black media wasn't something that he started after college. It's something that he started while he was in college with a few friends. And so I guess yeah. the part that Tosin has gotten wrong so far so good is that you never actually worked for anybody outside of yourself. Is, is that wrong? No, I had a few jobs. Okay. <laughs> and the thing is, is like early entrepreneurship for me was such a like up and down battle, you know, first four, I would say, First three, well, first five years, we didn't make any real money. <laughs> so it was more about getting my brand out there, um, being consistent and building. Um, but during that time, I had to eat. Absolutely. <laughs> and I also, you know, I was a busybody, you know, like I worked on my business, but I also was an SGA and I ran track and I was in a fraternity. And, you know, I had these part times and, I think for me, it just, everything just wasn't enough. Like I had to educate myself in so many different diasporas. Um, but yeah, I worked at Kaiser. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked for this lobbyist firm. Um, and those were my only two jobs outside of working for this guy <clears throat> named Mark Barnes. I worked at this nightclub, um, the biggest club on the East Coast. <laughs> um, he was like my mentor for about 13 years. I was working with him when I was like 17. He taught me marketing, right? Yeah. Him and Freddie Brown and everybody at that, um, at the overachievers, like they're the reasons why I kind of like started studying marketing at a young age. Um, my mentor at the time, I think I was a senior in high school and he was getting his master's in marketing at Georgetown. Mm. So a lot of the stuff he was learning, I was learning as well. Um, but that I did that all through college, after college, and I also, because I was a biochem major, I started working at Kaiser. I probably did it for maybe two years, two, three years. Um, the day I tried to quit from Kaiser, which is funny because I'm still, uh, what do you call it, uh, off the clock or part-time employee, what do they call that? Um, 
forget what they call it, but I'm still I still get a empty W nine from Kaiser every week on call. I was on call. Wow. Wow. Still? Still. I get a W nine every year from Kaiser that says zero. Um, but I was doing an interview for CNN and they had to interview me in the break room. And during that time, like I had to take my lunch break. That was the only time I could do the interview. And it was about HBC Buzz. But I literally did the interview, came back and went to work and it was on TV. And my boss is just like, why are you here? And I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I really don't know. And I remember resigning that week or at least trying to. And she just kept yeah. me on call because she was just like, if I ever need to come back. But I did it. <laughs> and then that's when I started pursuing politics. I was, you know, I'm like what I like to tell people, I'm an Obama kid. Like when I was first able to vote, we voted for Obama. We won twice. Don't know what's going on after that. But <laughs> I'm just saying, millennials, we did our job. <laughs> so D.C. was such a like exciting place during that time. So like, I really wanted to work on the Hill just to be able to network and rub elbows with some of the most powerful black people in the world. Absolutely. And that's what I did. Absolutely. Okay, thanks for correcting my version of your story. I appreciate that. <laughs> I do. He worked, guys. He didn't just do HBCU buzz. <laughs> Um, sure. Speaking of working, though, um, if you've been around my kids, and I call all college kids and HBCUs my kids, there seems to be, um, it's not a misconception, they really do believe that they start this brand today, and about 1.5 seconds later, they become Luke Lawal, right? You mentioned the hard work that you were doing in addition to all these other things that you mentioned, for every HBCU student who is in college and is dreaming about being their own person someday and running their own things, I don't want them to just see your successes. Can you talk about some of the challenges? And can you actually talk about the hard work you probably still engage in today? that most of us don't get to see behind the scenes of the beautiful life that you have, um, um, that we do get to see in social media? Yeah, um, first and foremost, I like to tell people wholeness because when I was an undergrad, the one thing that I had that I feel like every entrepreneur needs is like a sound mind. Like my mom's a therapist or a clinical social worker at trade. So like, and we're Nigerian. So like the amount of resilience and just being on an HBCU campus and the amount of like energy that people like pour into you, especially mm -hmm. when you start something is so humongous. And a lot of times people look at the technicalities when they're starting businesses. They're like the funding, you know, just the regular stuff when they're starting a business plan. But for me, it's about the mental toughness. Mm. Like start your business at the time where you feel like you are, you have the space, the mental capacity, the drive, the willingness to like really, really take it the long mile. And I think the a lot of times today, people are just like, they, what do I call it? Like temporary inspiration where they find like this quick idea and they're like, oh, I love it. Let me go start that. Um, when you're in the R&D phase, your research and development phase, do not forget to like 
assess yourself because that's the one thing that carried me through college. That's the one thing that made me believe that no matter what happened, I was straight because one, I was learning as I was failing. And then I was also always mentally like in a good place to where no matter what the end result was, I always knew that I would be good. So like what I tell people now is just like the first step is always to make sure you're mentally like whole, like you need to be ready, thorough, and there are going to be times that you're not, right? But in the beginning stages, that's so critical. And what I would say now, fast forward, I think it's what, 12 years since I started, 13 years since I started HBC Buzz, I still deal with those same challenges today. You know, every day you wake up, there's a different issue. You know, you have teams and there's different challenges. I mean, when I first started, the challenge was building a team. Now that I have a team, it's keeping a team and making sure they're happy, making sure that the machine is running. Um, I would say, <laughs> it's funny, like uh, my famous philosopher, uh, Biggie Small said, more money, more problems. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, that's so true. Yeah. But if your mental is tough, those problems just become another task on your to-do list. And that's like, that's the strategy. The strategy is if you're good, your business is going to be great. Page 20. I'm coming back to it. Um, page 20. <laughs> Page 20, I've told the students that I haven't bought the book for yet, but I'm getting it for them. But I've told them, page 20, mental health is one of the five health markers that one needs in order to build wealth. Okay. Um, <laughs> before I get to your book, um, Bowie State University is lucky to have a lot of amazing alumni, you being one of them. I'm always curious about the journey. You've got Howard University in your backyard. You had Morgan State University. You had Coppin. You had Un University of Maryland Eastern Shore. What's Luke's story of how he picked Bowie State University specifically? So Bowie picked me. <laughs> and what I would say is like, so my mom went to Howard. My dad went to Bowie. Um, and when I was in undergrad, I mean, when I was in high school, I never really looked at HBCUs as wow. like signed to Georgetown really young and I was, you know, running track and that was like my goal. But me landing at Bowie was more of a choice for me to kind of like be financially secure. Okay. And it was like the best option at the time. And man, like... When I say like, if I could do it 20 times over, I would do the same thing Absolutely. because like, I don't even know who I would be. And it's funny because I got a partial scholarship to run at Howard. I was there for a little bit and I ended up transferring to Bowie, like I want to say freshman week. So like when you'll meet a lot of my friends when they'd be like, wait, I thought he went to Howard because the friends that I made during that time, during the freshman week, we kind of like stayed friends throughout college. Cause you wow. know, I was down the street. But my choice to buoy like was primarily because of my track and just because I really wanted to succeed in that area, but also because like my legacy, my parents both went to HBCUs, but then it was also like I had started being so interested in Greek life 
and my fraternity, the greatest fraternity on the whole planet, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. And because <laughs> of that, like I started familiarizing myself with some of the chapters and Bowie had like one of the biggest and best chapters in the country. So because of that, like I just was at awe with the campus. <laughs> and once I got there, there was no, like that was where I was going to be. So I'm, I'm smiling because um, if you meet uh, a member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity, a pie chapter at Morgan State University, everything you just said are fighting words, like literally. Um, granted, yeah. you guys are, are, are coolest brothers, got it. <laughs> but okay, I'm going to leave that there. But I know Edwin Johnson is hearing me and he's like, what did he just say? <laughs> I'm sure it's all up. Of course, of course. But okay, can you? Okay, I have to ask this. I was warned not to, but I'm going to. Um, I met a a a, a brother from your fraternity who told me, and I I literally I kind of cursed him out in my head. Not not I don't curse, so it was all in my head. And he said to me, "Yeah, yeah, you know, greatest fraternity in the earth, on on the earth," and I'm this, and I'm like beautiful and i have a dog i love dogs and so he saw my dog and he went ew i was like excuse you and he said yeah i don't like dogs i like cats i was like excuse you in what world in what world are you a member of this fraternity and you don't like dogs so it's leading me to asking you what your favorite breed is because i'm a dog nut entirely very long way of asking what's your favorite dog well i will say this uh for don't tell me you like cats. <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't like cats. Okay, thank you, Jesus. it's normal for a dog to like a cat, and I'm going to just leave it there. <laughs> I'm going to just leave it there. <laughs> We're going to leave it there together. I don't want to know what that means. We're going to both leave it there together, and my dog is barking. <laughs> We're going to leave it there together. Um, but my favorite dog is a dog. Um, a Doberman. I love the way Dobermans look. Um, it kind of reminds me of myself. And, yeah. Okay. 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 I love all dogs. Literally all dogs. They're pretty amazing. But no cats are welcome around me like ever <laughs> in life. I'm not. I don't there. not like cats. I just prefer dogs. No. No. No cats. No. No. Thank you. Um, Luke, based on what you know now, what would you tell your freshman self? Freshman self, Whew. I would say relax. When I was in, man, when I was in undergrad, and okay, I want to tweak relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. What I want to say to my younger freshman self is just reminding myself that like I have everything I needed. Hmm. Because I think back then, being aggressive was so important to me. But part of being aggressive comes with a little bit of like worry and self-doubt. And I tell people all the time, the second you have imposter syndrome, it means you're about to do something great. The second you're like questioning, like the second you're questioning whether you're worthy or ready, that's how you know you put the work in. The second you, the second I get on stage and I don't get a little nervous, then I'm like, all right, I ain't like if I like if I don't get like something in my stomach that makes me feel like 
oh, I need to step it up, read my lines again, study more. The second I'm super comfortable, don't even think twice about it, then I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing. So like what I would tell my freshman self is just to not let that consume me because I spent a lot of time doing that. And like, I feel like if I had used that time, double down on like the opportunity and just accepted where I was, I'd be a little bit more further. Luke, um, number one, that's, that, that's, that's impactful even to me right now. Um, Cause I am still that extremely aggressive human being who goes after everything like nobody's business. <laughs> and um, it is comforting to hear those butterflies in my stomach are supposed to be there. That's very, very comforting to hear. Um, you started off, however, with the word relax. And I wish there was a way for us to really get that through to our freshmen now. Because um, you've, you've written a brilliant book. There's several books that have, have tried to guide us all, right, on... The things we're not thinking about, because that's not our area, that's not our expertise. But we don't necessarily take the message until it's a little too late. And I'm seeing so many Tosins, I'm seeing so many Lukes right now in college that no matter how many times I've already seen five years from where they are, and I'm like, I wish you'd just relax a little bit, just a little bit. They're not going to hear do you, and it's, it's not a fair question to ask you on the spot, so I apologize ahead of time, but who knows, you're Luke, you might have an answer that might actually work. Um, what do you think we could say that would work now where they don't have to wait to where we are to get the message across that if you just relaxed a little bit now, what, so what, what can we say? This is what I told my little cousin um, that's getting ready for college. And he was, we were arguing about the value of college. We were arguing about like, whether it's worth it and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, you know, for someone that's very analytical, he's one of the smartest people I ever meet. Someone that's very analytical is give me your top three reasons why people assume college is great. And the second he said network, I said, I agree with you. And then I explained to him, I was like, the difference between you and I is in order for you to network, you have to be able to connect with people. In order to be able to connect with people, you can't come from, what do you, what do I like to call it, like a place of need. When you come from a place of need, it's hard for you to build genuine connections. And when you come from a place of aggression, you tend to connect with the wrong people. And what I was trying to explain to him is that the second you relax, and allow the right people to come into your life. The second you realize the, the value of great relationships and how those relationships in college are gonna carry you for the rest of your life, you'll be a better networker. And throughout my college days, I don't even know if I was like, HBC Buzz wouldn't be what HBC Buzz was if I wasn't able to network on all the different campuses. Like I never, like I, I was, I was at Bowie's campus probably two, three days out of the week, and the rest of those times I was at Howard, I was at Morehouse, I was at FAMU, I was networking, I was meeting people, I was socializing, and to be honest, most people, and I would say the same thing, 
that was the number one value that I've gotten from my HBCU is that network, that support, that community. And a lot of times people are on campus and they're not even connecting with each other. They're trying to network above. And I tell people all the time, the next Diddy is in your classroom, the next uh, big lawyer, the next big doctor, the next, like all of these are resources that you're going to need after college and no matter how you look at it you know everyone is there with the same goal and networking should be at the top of the forefront but you can't do it if you don't relax Absolutely. if you're only worried about your grades if you're only worried about being the number one in class you're going to miss the op the biggest opportunity at an hbcu which is the network and the people tosin relax <laughs> <laughs> Even though you're Nigerian and it's in your blood to literally be aggressive and go after. I use aggressive in a positive way, by the way. I don't use it negatively. No, I like it too. Tosin, relax. Okay, got it. Relax. Relax. And I'm saying Tosin. It is hard. I will say this, like, the East Coast environment makes it harder. That's why I moved to LA. (laughs) That's why I love it here. I remember I used to wear suits 24-7. I don't anymore. <laughs> so it's just the environment brews like that. And it allows you to connect with people from a genuine point. And I think it's funny because my mom had said something. She's like, everyone says LA is about vibes. And I was just like, yeah, that word could be so described in so many different ways. But what it really means is chill, relax. Like it's not that deep. Uh, This year, as all of us know, uh, the Supreme Court had a very interesting ruling with regards to affirmative action. And Mm -hmm. my spin on it and all the conversations that I've been having is diversity, equity and inclusion and what impact that would have. But I, I want your take on whether or not HBCUs specifically I'm flipping it because we normally are talking about PWIs and Ivy Leagues when we talk about affirmative action and diversity, equity and inclusion. Should HBCUs be exempt from aligning with diversity, equity and inclusion expectations? And before you answer, I'm asking that because as somebody who has spent almost the last 20 years at an HBCU, we tend to exempt ourselves altogether just because of race. So what's your take on it? I mean, I have so many feelings about this, but I think sometimes when people look at the experience of HBCUs or the experience you have on a campus, like there's this huge disconnect with lawmakers and the value and the importance of our beloved institutions. And because of that, it this the same question I get all the time, and it's kind of similar to what you're asking now, is our HBCU still relevant? And I tell people all the time, you know, where will we be without HBCUs? That's that's the question. The question isn't our HBCU still relevant, it's where will we be without HBCUs? And I think when you think of our private versus public institutions, I think the problem with that is the funding, the access, the what we need to kind of grow and expand in today's world. Like when I was an undergrad, um, 
all the HBCUs in Maryland, we rallied and marched to the courthouse so many times to um, talk to the state of Maryland about the fact that our institutions were underfunded. And not only were we underfunded, but there was this long history of all the PWIs in Maryland getting more funds than we received. And I think I want to say maybe like five, six years ago when they finally won the case and all the HBCUs were awarded um, their fair share. And you see the actual result of that. Like when I go back to Bowie's campus, we now have an entrepreneurship building and a course. And I'm just like... If I had an entrepreneur campus when I was an undergrad, like I would have definitely like did that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's what I that would have been my, you know, my building. And shout out to Bowie because I'm definitely trying to get my name on that building. By the way, I'm speaking that into existence. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. But to answer your question, I really think that we have the the country needs to understand the value of what our HBCUs bring to the table. And I think that this division is why we're constantly been like put on this pedestal to ask like, is there still value in that? And I think that's the problem. Okay. Okay. Speaking of your name on a building <laughs> and the building could be buoy, maybe not buoy. Um, he's like, of course it's going to be Bowie. Where else would it be? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Earl Graves has that uh, business school. So, absolutely. Look Lowell. Look Lowell. Look Lowell Entrepreneurship Building, Bowie State University. I am sure your president would love that. I, I really am. Um, I said I was coming back to rich, black, poor, black. And I do want everybody to see this book. Um... I wasn't expecting the the marriage between fiction and nonfiction, right? And <laughs> there's some parts. Sorry, say that again. I say I get that question all the time. I mean, most people. I, well, I'll just tell the story. I go ahead. Confused. Go ahead. You were confused. <laughs> when I, yeah, when I when I wrote when I started writing. I didn't know, like, because I tell people all the time, I got four C's in college, English 101, English 102, History 101, History 102, because I sucked at writing. But just like me writing a book, I was trying to maximize my opportunities and my challenges by doing the one thing that that was challenging me the most. So... In my Nigerian nature, I started questioning all these rules as to why I have to write it this way and I have to write it this way. And I and I remember talking to the publishing team and just saying like, hey, you know, I want to do both. And they're like, well, that sounds true Gemini fashion. And I was just like, I, I guess, <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> that's one of my main characters. I guess I, I'm, I'm like, I want both. And I also thought it would resonate with the readers better. And for me, like I always felt like in storytelling and even in TV and film, a lot of our messaging is always dummy down into like stories. And it's like a lot of times they feel like they have to tweak it in a way for us to understand it. So because of that, I was like, okay, I know I want to tell the stories because I fell in love with the characters I created 
but I don't want them to miss the message. Absolutely. And I want them to hear directly from me. So that's why I have the the two. Are you Hopefully Gemini or are you Leo? Are you Leo <laughs> or are you Gemini? Are you both? Well, if you've read the end of the book, which I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you not there yet. <laughs> yep. I'm <laughs> not there. You're not going to tell me? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm down to... Wanna... I'm at 147. I'm on page 147. So I'm not done yet. So, okay, don't tell me. I'll find out on my own. I'm okay with that. (laughs) With your permission, though, I do want to read a couple of excerpts. Is that okay? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Now, the first one I want to read is on page 19. And it's specifically in relation to your building eventually going on, um, um, your name eventually going on a building at Bowie State University. And what was missing, and I actually still think is missing at many HBCUs in the manner in which we approach the subject of wealth. So you said, we've all heard the saying, money can't buy happiness. I couldn't agree more. Real happiness and contentment come from within. I'm going to skip. But anyone who's lived on the wrong side of the wealth gap, like Leo, can confirm that money makes moving through life a little easier. It isn't everything, but if you've been without it, you know its absence leaves a very absence leaves very little mental space for anything else. Focusing on your happiness and well-being is hard when you're fixated on simply surviving. Can you tie that in, if you don't mind, on what's missing? There's so many entrepreneurship courses now being taught at different HBCUs. There's so many finance and marketing courses being taught now at so many HBCUs. But like you rightfully note on page 20, the five kinds of health that one must consider with regards to one's wealth. Do you think they're actually covering what they should be covering? See, the problem is most authors of those books are not facing the same challenges that we face in the African-American community. Absolutely. Um, The biggest challenge is looking at wealth and understanding that it's not just about the actual money. And when you don't have it, it is about the actual money. But when you do have it, you realize that it's nothing without all the rest of the things. Like when you think of like your spiritual, mental, physical and social intellectual health, you can't sustain wealth without that. And that's why when you asked me what I'll tell my like younger self, I was saying like, you know, focus on just relaxing and trying to figure out how you can like I wanted the full picture. Right. And I wanted to understand that, you know, you can't chase wealth without understanding that there's so many things about yourself that you have to build in order to really get there. And when I was writing the book, one of the things I wanted the reader to understand is that contradiction between Gemini and Leo is literally the understanding of the foundation. And I wanted to make sure that people can see themselves in Leo and really resonate with that because at the end of the day when you don't have it and you don't know what it takes to get it all you can do is compare and contrast and you look at these situations and say well that's all i can think about 
That's all I know. That's the, like, how do I survive without money? How do I get to the next phase without money? Like it consumes you, right? And I wanted to make sure that the reader could relate to that before we came in with corrective criticism. I hear you. I do. Um, and I hear that um, what I'm hearing you say is it's more personal than not. Yes. And But I'm still going to push a little and ask, do you think we, and I'm asking you to criticize us in the HBCU space as professors, and thank heavens I'm not an entrepreneurship professor, <laughs> but if you were to criticize us ever so slightly, should we be focusing a little bit more on some of the intangibles and not just on the tangibles that all of our courses kind of beat into a business student's head or an entrepreneurship student's head? Because I, I still think that is missing. Do you find that still missing is what I'm asking. So one of the most important things I mentioned in the book is that wealth starts at home, right? And the reason why I think it's so important for us to understand that is because in a classroom, especially like a business school, right? They teach you the technique, but they don't teach you how to be you. And the difference is in, maybe that's an area of opportunity for some of these campuses to make mm -hmm. sure that there are courses that focus on how you can build yourself up as a person. And that's some of the holistic things that I talk about in order to build the wealth. Absolutely. But I think the, I think it's missing in the classroom but I think that it's very important for the campuses to just focus on the strategy of running a business, focus on how to be a business. But before you step into that classroom, you need that fundamental foundation. And I think the problem is most of these students are coming to that classroom without it. And that is where the error of correction can be. And I think that some of the campuses can try to tweak it, but you gotta understand, like I said before, it starts at home. Absolutely. And that's why the book creates such an important opportunity. And I tell people all the time, like talk about money at the dinner table, talk about like your feelings, talk about all of like how to become whole and address some of these things so that you can become wealthy. But some people, like, I, I'll ask people, do you even have, like, the mental capacity to work? <laughs> or do you That's have a real question? Capacity? Yeah. And if you can't answer it, then you probably don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real question that I don't think many of us ask. I know I didn't ask myself because you're, you're thinking about the need and the desire to provide more than anything else. So you don't even allow yourself to, to be person in the process. You just allow yourself to be machine in the process. So that's, that's a good question. I promised I would bring up your mom again, and you just spoke of home. And I could not resonate more with a, 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 an excerpt I'm Nigerian. My name gives that away totally. I, there's, there's a, I'm just going to read it. I grew up in a household where credit was considered as evil as the devil himself. My mother believed that credit was bad and she encouraged my sister and me to stay away from it. I listened for some time, but eventually I realized that I needed credit to become successful. 
Let's go all the way back to that Essence magazine um, 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 visualization that I hope the audience heard me give earlier on. And this beautiful petite woman gets so excited about her son being on the back of this Essence magazine um, um, edition. And there's and anyone that sees your social media, you also present her with uh, uh, this book as well. I think she sees the first copy, if I'm not um, 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 I'm wrong. What does she think? Both of you have different ideologies with regards to wealth right. and with regards to um, um, earning. What does she think about rich black poor black what's her she we don't get to see her review on the back of the book i want to know what her review is <laughs> so it's funny i tell people all the time um in a nigerian household the biggest thing that's missing is trust mm. and we know this <laughs> you see how it's like ah. <laughs> he's not wrong though he's not wrong <laughs> father lord okay <laughs> and it wasn't i would say i think and my mom will say something different i'm sure of course of course but, um i want to say was it two years last year when i got the bt award um I had friends and people from my community that were going to my mom's house and like literally throwing flowers at the house. And she would be in a grocery store and people would be like, your son's doing it. And like when I win awards, it's, it's never from me, never from me. It's when everyone around her started acknowledging the work that I put in, then the idea of the way I should have did it and the value of the methods that I came up with created trust. So by the time the book came, there was this huge trust I that, that, oh, I don't know how he did it. I don't know what he did, but he did it right. But he did it right. So reading my book for her, she looks at me. I think we had went to dinner when I presented her the book. Um, and she's just like, reading it right away. And she's just like, I'm like, mom, like, I just wanted you to have the book. And she's just like, but I really want to know. And I was just like, okay. And then I was like, what do you want to know? She's just like, I want to know how you did it. Mm -hmm. Like we talk, I see you. It's hard to hear it from you, but reading the book allows me to come from a objective perspective. And now I get to like feel and actually see all that you've been saying. And that's that was that was the best thing for me because I think growing up it was so that's why I say we went from I would say when I was 18 there was absolutely no trust. <laughs> I would say when I turned 32, I'm 34 now. When I turned 32, that's when she finally trusted me. Wow. But be in between, it was growing every single day. Like when I stopped pursuing medicine. That was a thing. When I wanted to join a fraternity, that was a thing. And But every step of the way, she started seeing the value. When my frat brothers started shoveling the snow after I moved to California, she's like, now I see why it was important for you to have a brotherhood. Yeah. You know, and all of these things, every step of the way, built trust between us. But what I will say is, um, and I talk about this in my book, 
the earlier you trust your family and trust and believe and enrich people to kind of like bring their ideals to the table in a transparent way, that's the first step to building wealth. Luke, um, as you as you know, I have not finished because there's there's a revelation at the end of this book that you refuse to tell me. Um, so I have not finished, <laughs> but I I hope if it isn't already planned, I sincerely hope that many HBCUs, but let me just put it out there for Bowie, is inviting you to not give a workshop, but to have a full-on discussion. And by the way, I'm available to moderate it if they want me to. <laughs> um <laughs> Just joking. Um, I'm sure they're capable people at Bowie to do that. But I do think hearing you talk about some of the aspects of the book is something students need to hear. It's one thing for them to read it. It's another thing for them to actually hear somebody who's lived and gone through some of the things that you mention in here in a very real way that they will realize it's not that far off. It's not somebody that they can't touch and feel. So I hope it's being planned. You've got an amazing public relations team. I hope it's being planned. I hope we get to find out about it because I'll definitely show up with a whole bunch of Morgan State University students um, who are going to be ready, willing, and excited to hear a whole lot more about the book. And I'm actually going to get a good number of them for our honors students at Morgan State University, just for them to take a, a look at what I've been raving about. Um, and segueing to what I rave about the most about you, it is impossible to see your name and not connect your name to being one of our best. And by our we're all adopting you on all HBCUs. I know there are a lot of amazing HBCU advocates. I'm getting to speak to them and I love each and every one of them. But I followed you to be one of the first who proudly calls himself an HBCU advocate without fail. Um, I thank you for that. I thank you for this time. Um, I know that as somebody as busy as you are, there are about a gazillion things you're always working on. Before you leave us, or before we leave you, <laughs> can you share with us something we might not know about, something that might be brewing, that you'd kind of want to give us an in on that you're working on? Okay. Ooh, that was a lot. Okay. Um, first and foremost, full transparent moment. Um, when I launched the book on my birthday. And remember how I told you it's so important to make sure you're ready mentally, yes. spiritually, physically, and everything. Yes. I wanted to go on tour immediately, right? But the summer, the amount of time that it takes to put a book to press. Absolutely. Drained me. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, like, just putting it out, like hitting that button for people to be so vulnerable and read your thoughts, your words, like you have to be mentally ready for that. And throughout that time, I was writing, writing, pushing the deadline. I think I was supposed to uh, put it out during Black History Month. And then I had pushed it back to my birthday. So I had convoluted the birthday with the book launch and you know I'm still running my brands and my businesses and I was just exhausted <laughs> and I tell people all the time like 
yes, I was supposed to hit, like, run with it at that moment, but I was just like, uh, I'm going to do what's good for me. I'm going to take this break, focus on my businesses, take the time to actually relax. <laughs> and now we're going to get ready to uh, bring this back in the fall and we're going to do a tour in the fall. Definitely going to start at Bowie State. I definitely want to come to Morgan State. So we're going to reach out and try and get that locked in. But my most important thing, like you said, I, I want to get in the room with my community. I want to be able to tell my story. I want them to be able to see what it looks like and and have a real representation of what that is. Um, and I tell people all the time, the testimonies are not to give me praise. The testimonies to remind me that I'm doing it right. And when I got that BT award, I felt like the people closest to me or the people that I've connected with, people that I grew up with, people that I just have experienced me, felt that inspiration. And immediately I knew by writing this book, it was just, it wasn't just publishing. I had to get in front of people, let them experience me, and then read the book, understanding that they can see themselves doing that. And I'm doing another book. <laughs> so the book that I wrote is The Foundation is the part one. If you read to the end, you will understand why. Um, but it's the beginning stages of generating wealth. And what I wanted to do is meet people where they were. And a large percent of our community don't know the foundation or the fundamentals to building wealth. So once they learn that, now we can take it a step further. So we're waiting on book two, but before book two, we're going to see you and we're looking forward to seeing you at Morgan State University when that happens. I promise. Absolutely. Luke, to end this for us, um, share with the audience one word or short phrase on why you love HBCUs. I love HBCUs because they saved me, (laughs) to be honest. Um, When I was an undergrad, being Nigerian, it it forces you to be confident. Being from a Nigerian from PG County forces you to be cocky. Being a successful Nigerian from PG County forces you to be arrogant. And man, when I stepped on that HBCU campus and when I joined my fraternity, I was humbled. Mm. I learned more about myself than I had ever known. I learned about my culture, my community, where I come from, who I am. And I wouldn't change that experience for nothing. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Luke Lowell Jr., uh, thank you so much for being my inaugural guest for I Love My HBCU Question Mark. I hope that those who are listening have found why I wanted you to be the first person that they got to hear from with regards to this podcast other than myself. And I also hope that uh, for those watching, for those listening, that this, we've, we've, I, not Luke, Luke is Luke. He is a pretty impressive human being, but Tosin and the entire, I love my HBCU team has earned the pleasure of you subscribing to this podcast as well as liking this episode. Luke Lowell, I thank you. I appreciate you. And this has been wonderful. Thank Thank you. you. You've been listening to, I love my HBCU question mark. 
Let's keep the conversation going as we share our stories and encourage more practical support of HBCUs, whilst, of course, holding each other accountable. Don't forget to follow and subscribe for the latest episodes. Until next time, love and lift your HBCU.